You are listening to Riverhouse Church's Sermon of the Week. We hope this talk equips and inspires you. Hey, Riverhouse. I am so excited that Marketplace Sunday is finally here. I just wanted to introduce to you our speaker for this service, who is Nikki Glisson. Nikki has been a part of our community since the very beginning and is currently serving in marketplace context within the Albertsons Corporation. She is brilliant, she is humble, she is wise, and really has bestowed so much uh, into me, into this church from a leadership and just perspective in general. And so I'm so excited that we get to hear from her tonight. So I just wanna invite you all to stand and honor Nikki as she comes to speak on how to engage with the community. sure know how to make a girl feel at home. Thank you. So good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let me just start with prayer. Might calm my nerves a little bit and then we'll get started. Okay. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for these amazing people that you brought here this afternoon, God. And I just pray that the only words that come through my mouth, Lord, are your words and your words alone. And God, may they speak to the people that need to hear a message from you, God. Just have those words penetrate their hearts and call forward those that you desire to take a step forward into something new and different. In your name, amen. All right, so Jordan said, I'm Nikki, I go with Johnny, who did prayer before, and we have three beautiful kids. I have a 13-year-old daughter, Olivia, a 10, 11, holy cow, we just had a birthday, year old son, Levi, and a little eight-year-old, Violet, and she's not in here, but she is a ball of spunk and fire. So I want to start by telling you a little bit about my career, my interaction with the marketplace, and give you a little bit of testimony, and then we're going to dig into Thessalonians. So if you want to turn your way to Thessalonians so you're ready when we get to that, that would be excellent. So when, uh, when we moved to Idaho in 2004, I moved out to work for Albertsons, and I'm in finance. I've been in corporate finance for about 20 years, and I worked for Albertsons in their corporate finance department. And when I say finance, I mean, of course, I'm working with numbers and math, right? But there are so many different areas within finance. And in a really large corporation, you can come in and be very focused on one small piece, okay? So I'm not doing treasury and cash, or there's accounting, and there's auditing, and there's tax. And I was in this little sliver of corporate finance called financial planning and analysis, okay? In this big, huge organization that's 200,000 people, 60 billion in revenue. Well, in 2004 to 2010, I really enjoyed my time there, learned a lot, and got to this point of needing to really take a step forward in faith. At the time, believe it or not, Johnny worked there too. We were both working for the same company, and we went through this massive transition where we carved the company out into three pieces, sold part of it to a company in Minnesota, another part to a drugstore. And in that, through that transition of a few years, they decided in Minnesota that they wanted my function to move there. Well, 
being, being a typical female, security, financial security is very important to me. And I had decided from the time I was a little girl, I would never be dependent on anyone. On a, on a scale of one to 10 for independence, I'm probably like an 11.5, <laughs> over the top. And, um, excuse me. So we got a call Friday before Labor Day and asked us, uh, asked me, and Johnny got a separate call, asked us to move to Minnesota. And we both instantly knew that that was not what we wanted to do. And it wasn't just a, hey, come on over to Minnesota. It was, you're gonna have to move to Minnesota or you're not gonna have jobs, both of us. And we had two little kids at the time. And we had to decide, despite my need to control and feel secure, that we had to trust. Because we both instantly knew it was not the right move for us. It only took us like an hour of having conversation. So we came back from Labor Day weekend that Monday. We said, thanks, but no thanks. You can go ahead and lay us off. And so we did. We got laid off. I went for about a year without employment. I was an adjunct teacher for NNU for a little bit. And I decided in that moment I was going to take that opportunity to expand my horizons. Instead of having this little small piece of corporate financial planning and analysis, which was my focus the whole time, I was going to try something other than corporate finance. I was going to try small business or nonprofit, and I trusted that God would provide those opportunities, and he did, and he provided so much more. It was through that process that Johnny found his opportunity to stop working for the man, is how he would call it. He would always complain about working for the man. And so his change was that he decided to go be a counselor, which I'm so thankful for. It's a much better fit. And he gets to counsel me when I'm losing my marbles. Um, but I got the opportunity to go be the CFO for a small public organization. And in that, I had a lot more responsibility. It was a really small company, but instead of this small little piece, I got to deal with all the different pieces, right? So my experience broadened significantly. And then there was a time when God said, okay, we're done here. And I got to go work for the Idaho Food Bank. And so I got to learn nonprofit. And again, I got to deal with all the different aspects. And God used those times because I took that step of faith and said, all right, God, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna trust you with it. I don't know what this, what this is gonna look like, but I trust you to provide. I got the experiences to really broaden my foundation and understanding of finance as a whole. So through those experiences, I became a more valuable finance contributor because I had much more knowledge and I could see the bigger picture instead of my little slice of the pie. So God used that in me to develop me. Even though I didn't understand it at the time, it was not an easy time, but he used it to develop me into a better finance executive. Lo and behold, in 2015, I find myself going back to Albertsons in financial planning and analysis. <laughs> Pretty funny, but when you're in a corporation, you work for a company, so 10% of American workers are actually self-employed or entrepreneurs. 62% want to be, but only 10% really are. 90% of people work for the man, just like I do, 90%. And that creates an opportunity for us that work for the man 
to make that our mission field. I spend more time in waking hours with those people at work than I do with my family. It's important that I keep that perspective in mind if I want to have an impact or leave an impact on this world if I spend most of my time with those people, right? So in business, when you're working for the man, we tend to picture our success in terms of a ladder. We hear the corporate ladder, right? So I've always paid attention to how fast am I climbing that ladder, right? Which is based titles, money, that kind of thing. And what I found during my transition from Albertsons to this other small company to the Idaho Food Bank is each time I took a pay cut. So that kind of felt like a step down the ladder. So it didn't feel like success. That felt like the opposite of success. And then when I went back to Albertsons, I had left on one rung of the ladder. And when I came back in, I had stepped down into another rung. And so that was really a lesson for me. So God was broadening my experience, but he was also working on me in here, right? My pride. He was really working on me with my pride. He was teaching me humility. And not only that, but when I stepped back into Albertsons, there were other people that hadn't left. And they had kept climbing. And when I came in, stepped down, we were in different directions on the ladder than when I had left. And I would tell myself, that doesn't matter. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And I could tell myself that all the time. My feelings didn't always feel that way. <laughs> I had to decide. And over time, the more I made that choice to tell myself that it didn't matter, my feelings started to come in line. Eventually they did. And, and I feel like it was, it was kind of a test for me. What's funny is when I was um, considering the job at the food bank, it was you know, pay cut number one, pay cut number two for the food bank. And I remember we were at Robin's house. We used to pray on Sunday nights with a group of women. And Jordan happened to be home from school that night and he was at her house. And they were saying, oh, how'd the interview go? And I was like, oh, it's good. I feel like I should take it, but I kind of feel bummed because I know I should take it. And he called me out and he said, Nikki, that sounds like pride. Oh, okay, you're right. So it's like it was this recurrent thing that kept coming up to me, right? So he was refining me in that pride problem. And I remember there came a point back in eh, 2016, 2017, where I felt like I finally just didn't care. And I was actually considering at the time, what if I, what if I was just done with it all and went into ministry? That sounded a whole lot more exciting. And right at that point when I said I didn't care, it doesn't matter, I could just be at this level or this rung of the ladder for all of eternity, if that's where you want me to be, God, that's when things broke loose. It was like it was a test. He wasn't going to let me keep going and feed my pride problem. He was going to work it out of me until I finally found the humility to put my career in his hands and realize that it's his career. It's not mine to control. It's not mine to try to climb and make happen. Once I finally gave up and let go, all of a sudden, I got a double promotion I didn't ask for. It was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So that's, that's my, my career background. But now I want to get into what I've learned through this process with you guys. When I was talking with God about 
what do you want me to tell these people? What do they need to know? And he, he specifically said, I want them to know they work for me. I strategically place them for my benefit, my purposes, and my will. And in it, I will bless others and I will develop them. So we're going to start with a little economics lesson, now that you know my background. So economics is the theory of supply and demand, right? So firms, companies, organizations, churches, they need people to provide labor. They need workers, right? And then there's all of us that are the workers. We have labor to supply. And then we reach a point where there's a price, that midpoint, that price, where I'm willing to supply my labor to you, company, for this price. And the company says, yes, I am willing to demand your labor and pay that same price. All right? Those are the wages. And that's a lot of how we measure if it's fair, if what I'm giving is fair for what I'm receiving. So it's a transaction, right? We buy and sell things all the time, all the time. And it's got to be a fair price for what I'm willing to give or what I'm willing to buy or what I'm willing to sell on Craigslist or eBay or whatever, right? What's that price I'm willing to exchange? And a job is no different. We're always thinking about it in terms of am I giving more than what I'm receiving? Who here's a deal shopper? Like always find a steal of a deal, right? Right? So when we're doing that, we're going out and we're saying, oh, that's a great deal because what I'm getting feels like it's worth more than what I have to give for it, right? That feels really good when we find that, doesn't it? And when we're at work, when we're at work and we are giving a lot, or maybe it's not even work, maybe I'm volunteering at Riverhouse and I'm pouring out and I'm giving, and then I start looking around like, well, I didn't get what that person got, or I didn't get recognized, or that person got a promotion, or that, that person got a bonus, or that person, Robin called them for their birthday. You know what I mean? Like we start thinking and we compare to see, is it fair, right? What I'm giving and what I'm getting, is it equal? Is it fair? And we measure that by looking around and comparing ourselves to others. So we're constantly applying that I want to get more than I give. And as long as I'm getting a return on my investment, where I'm getting more than I'm giving, I'm gonna keep it up, it's good. And when it feels the other way, I start, well, maybe this isn't a job for me. Maybe I shouldn't put as much effort into it. I'm, I don't have good work-life balance. I need to have more balance and work less. And sometimes we really do. Don't get me wrong. But it's so funny that that's what the world teaches us, is to protect our investment, protect how much of our time we'll give, protect how much effort we give, because are we getting what we're worth in return? That's what the world tells us. And yet, in Acts 20:35. It says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. How do we apply that in the workplace? When we are constantly, it's ingrained, is this fair? Is this fair? Am I getting what I'm worth? I'm putting so much in and I'm just not getting enough back. Nobody's recognizing me. Why am I doing this? Why would I do this? I just want to go do my own thing so I don't have to worry about that and I don't have these limitations, right? Not ripping on entrepreneurs. I love them. But we have to think about, are we trying to run away from something that we perceive is not fair? Are we called to go do something? And if we're called, we need to do it. We need to be obedient. But if we're just trying to run away from something that we feel like is not fair, maybe that's the very place that we need to be because God is working on us. Because we're not ready for what's coming until I get over that pride, right? 
until we can persevere through the trials and learn the lessons that he has for us in that place. We're not ready to go to the next one. We're not. <clears throat> so, Paul gives us an incredible example of the kingdom approach to giving and receiving in Thessalonians. So, right at the beginning, he just starts off the letter to the Thessalonians thanking them and being so appreciative for nothing other than their work. So in Thessalonians 1, he's saying, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So he appreciates their hard work. He's talking about their work. Now, if you know the history of the Thessalonians, Thessalonica, if I'm saying it right, was kind of a, a port city, okay? The Romans had built this road coming down, and so there was, there was a lot of work. It was a busy place, all right? And what had happened is when Paul came through the first time, he only had a few weeks with these people to, to teach them what he knew, and he, he kind of got cast out and had to keep moving. He was getting in trouble with the Jews and had to leave. And he was worried about if his word was sticking with them, right? Because he just didn't have enough time with them. And what he had heard is that they were so um, intent on, like, Jesus coming back any day now that they all just wanted to do ministry, essentially, and nobody was really doing the work of the community that needed to be done to keep their community of believers going. And so some did and some didn't. They kind of got lazy and focused on some ministry, but then could kind of be a distraction. Do you ever have your, like, cube made or something at work that, like, you're super busy and they don't have a lot to do and they're looking over, trying to, like, get your attention? You're like, stop being idle because you're distracting me from my work. You want them to be busier so they can get their head down and get to work, right? So those people were a distraction and they were draining energy from those that were working hard. So Paul was telling that group of people how much he appreciated their work. And he says later in the chapter to tell people that are idle and gossiping to quit it and get back to work. And if they don't work enough to earn their food, kind of teach them a little bit of a lesson. That's not where I'm going to go with this sermon. But if you go to chapter 2, we, we are focused a lot at Riverhouse on healthy family, right? what healthy family looks like. We want people to be known and belong. And that culture that we try to create here is also an, an incredible culture to create in the workplace. And even here, Paul talks about how he came to the Thessalonians. He's reminding them of the approach that he took when he came to them. And in chapter two, in verse four, I'm going to read verses 4 through 7. So he says, We were not trying to please people but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from any human being, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our prerogatives. Instead, we were like young children among you. Young children. So here's this powerful, very learned leader that goes into this group of people that he wants to teach and invite into the kingdom, and he comes in with humility like a young child. 
So one of the things that I've learned in my career, when I get the best response from people, even when I have to say hard things, right? Even when I have to deal with critical conversations or if I, if I have to give bad news because there's this big expense coming or something like that, I find that when I come at it with humility, like a child usually, where I pose things in terms of a question that I get a much better response. So let me give you an example. When I was um, in one of, one of my positions, I was seeing some trends happening in sales data, and they weren't good. They, they weren't good. I, kinda, I could see a problem coming, and I felt responsible. Like, if I'm seeing this, and I'm, I'm in finance, I need, to, I need to let somebody know, right, that this is what's, there's kind of warning signs, warning signs. And so I talked to one of my supervisors about it, and the response I got was, um, you shouldn't be looking at that. Like, she didn't care. And I was like, oh, but this is a big deal. Like, somebody, we need to know. We need to change course. Like, it's like the Titanic, and I see an iceberg up ahead, and I'm trying to let people know. And so I was so offended and felt so responsible when I did that. Well, I didn't get the response I wanted. Things actually did happen that way, which was unfortunate. But since then, I thought, well, that didn't work. Not only was I stressed out like crazy and saying, look what I found, look what I found. She didn't receive it. And then I was frustrated and offended at it. And so I learned, Let's, that doesn't work. Let's try it a different way. And so when I come at it with, like, not this pride of look what I found, but with a question. If I put things in terms of a question or offer it with humility, because the only thing I know 100% about myself is that I don't know everything. When I come at it with, hey, did you think about, or should we consider, or maybe I'm missing something, but I see, it leaves the door open, right, for the fact that I may not know everything. I may have misread something. I may be looking at something that's really not my authority to even speak into. And I have found that the response that I get when I go at it with humility like that is these powerful people that I sit in these conference rooms with, they just give me this undivided attention and authority that I'm not asking for or thinking I deserve or I've earned, but they give it to me. And that's when I know that what I'm saying is really something that God has shown me, but it's his anointed words that draws their attention in. And they give it an authority that I don't have to demand or be offended when I don't get. Because it's not really my idea anyway, it's his. Right? So they start paying attention to what I have to say. And then I find that what I say changes the course that we're on. And not because of me, but because of me being obedient to him and knowing from the beginning, it's not me. It's not about me. Can you put up the picture of the gears? So one thing that I've realized, and I see this in a lot of um, the different employees that I've had over the years, is we tend to see things from a singular perspective, right? Like if I'm a circle in the middle of one of those gears, and my only perspective is just what I see. But really to make an organization work, whether it's the church or a company or even a marriage or a family, we have to recognize that we're just one cog in that wheel. 
There's a much bigger picture. We have to take things up from our own perspective to see it from God's perspective. And he sees how the whole motor works and how we're one piece of it. And it takes all of the pieces working together and contributing and recognizing that it's not all about them for it to work smoothly. Even in a ministry setting, right? God talks, Jesus talks about the body of Christ. It's a body. It takes every single member of the body. So an, an analogy I use at work frequently is, um, can you switch it to the rowing? So an analogy that I use at work quite frequently is, we can all row together towards the goal, whatever success looks like. And we're going to get there. If we're rowing in different directions, or somebody's taking a break and not rowing at all, it's going to take us longer to get there. And in the church, that can happen as well. If somebody's rowing against somebody else, then we're just kind of stuck not going anywhere. We have to all get our focus on the right goals and moving in the same direction. And in the workplace, that's something that we focus on a lot. Our goals have to be aligned. We have to have full understanding. And we have to be putting forth that same effort. By the same token, I talked about the, um, the things that I've seen or the ideas that God has given me that I've shared. I need to be okay with not getting credit. If I was, if I was rowing with a group of people and I found this trick for how to row with spending less energy or going faster, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to keep it to myself, right? Does anybody have anybody they work with that's like somebody found a great thing and they're like, keep it close to the vest, don't tell, because it's like I look better than everybody else then, right? If I'm in that situation, I want to tell everybody so we can all get there faster, right? So I, we whisper it around. I don't care if it has my name signed under the idea. I don't care who came up with the idea. The fact is, we can meet the goal because it was an idea that's going to help us out, and I don't need my name attached to it. There's been a number of times, number of times, where I've, I've seen something that I've shared with my boss or with a peer, and at the time, it's met with some resistance. And because of my, my sales trends learnings, I've just let it go because I've said, well, if it's from God, it'll have the anointing attached to it. There were seeds planted, and when the time's right, it'll come to fruition, right? And that happens over and over again. We've even had that in ministry. Johnny and I sometimes will see something, and we'll say it, and it can even be met with resistance at the time. And we let it go and say, okay, maybe it's not meant to be, or if it is, it'll come. And wouldn't you know it, a couple weeks, maybe two years, that person is like, you know, I had this great idea. Awesome! That's so great! I had that with one of my bosses where we were trying to figure out this really complicated um, approach to quantifying what it would take to meet our mission and, mission and vision. And I figured it out and I showed it to this person. I said, it's just, it can't be that simple. That's, that's not it. It can't be that simple. I'm like, okay. And then it was like two weeks later. It's like, it came to me last night, and she showed me what it was, and it was exactly what I had done. And I was like, you are brilliant. That is awesome. And we were able to move forward with it, right? Because it wasn't my idea. I don't need my name attached to it. It was his. So I don't care who it comes through. If it's going to help us make progress, I'm going to celebrate it. So Paul came to them as a child. He offered his teachings. He offered the wisdom that he had. He did not force it down their throats. It's an invitation, right? It's just like Jesus. 
He stands there at the door and knocks. He doesn't force his way in. It's just an invitation. I'm here. Do you want me? And that's the way that I've approached sharing the awarenesses, the solutions to problems, the challenges that I see coming. I offer them. And whether they're accepted or not is not for me to own, right? The outcome belongs to the Lord. I just get to be obedient. And I have found that it's been so fruitful in the way that I'm, I'm listened to. And what I say has weight when I'm saying his words. And I, I just, it blows me away sometimes, the favor that I feel in those moments, because God will allow me to recognize it right then. And I could almost like break down in tears, because I'm like, who am I to deserve this attention that I'm getting? And it's not even mine to claim. But it's just such a blessing to be used in that way, especially when it's an idea or solution that I know I've never experienced. I'm not drawing on my own experiences with that, right? <clears throat> so not only did Paul come to them, even though he had positional authority, God gave him authority to do what he was going to do, but he chose not to exercise that type of authority. He came to them humbly, offering the wisdom that he had for them to choose to pick it up. But then a couple verses later, actually the end of 7, he says, just like a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. And he talks about further down how surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. So when I think about a nursing mother, fortunately, I was not one. So I got to make Johnny share in the misery and we switched off at night. But for those that are up every two, two and a half hours, right, you're walking around in a fog, in a fog for a couple years potentially while you're dealing with this baby. And you're just pouring out all that you have. And you think about that economic transaction, right, that I talked about where it's like supply and demand. This is a job that has no payment and probably takes more effort than anything in the world that I can think of. And yet it is so self-sacrificing. There is no reward in that. You're simply investing in another human being, right? And that's what Paul's talking about. They worked so hard, working their fingers to the bone so that they were not in any way a burden, so that there wouldn't be any sense of, you know, guilt. Like, well, I'm giving you this because you gave me this, right? He wanted to make sure it wasn't a transaction. It was just giving, no receiving, so nobody would question his motives, right? And if we want to build rapport and influence with the people that we work with in our mission field, the way that we do that is we give. And we do what we do with excellence, even if it means I'm working harder, or I'm working more hours, or I'm putting more effort into it, I am giving it all, not with what can I get out of it, but because that's how I build rapport. And as I give that respect and I pour myself out, God takes care of the favor that comes on me or the blessing, right? And I find that, and I even, I, I have this conversation with people at work sometimes, how I just want to work hard. And if people recognize it, that's great. But I'm not going to be like, look what I did, pat myself on the back, make sure everybody knows how qualified I am for everything. And sometimes the world tells us that's what we need to do. We need to make sure people know what we expect and what our goals are. And we need to make sure that they know what our accomplishments are. That's, that's the way you get ahead in the corporate world. 
right? And yet, I have been so blessed when I don't do that. I just work hard and serve people, and then the actions speak for themselves. I don't have to use my words. I don't have to. And what I find is other people will then say those things about me. That's not why I do it. I don't do it to please them. I do it to please God. And whatever comes from that, so be it. It's not what I'm striving for. But that means doing it all with excellence, even when you feel like the return isn't coming. Right? Even when you know it's not. Will you still pour that in? Or what we tend to do is say, okay, well, I'm only getting kind of this much of a return, so I don't have to work quite so hard. Or next time I won't put quite so much into it because it really wasn't worth it. And so we kind of cut back on our level of contribution. But if we're thinking about it, if we know who we're really doing it for, would, would that change? Would we slack or cut back or not do as much? So Paul picked the hardest, most exhausting job as an example of how he worked. <clears throat> we may find ourselves in a situation, even when we volunteer and we're not going to get paid anything, but when we don't get a thank you or publicly recognized at the end of it, like, I didn't even get a thank you. It's the same thing, right? Who are we doing it for? Are we doing it for recognition, or are we doing it because we're called to pour our life out? So the last section, and again, this is all in terms of healthy family. He came to them as a child. He came to them as a nursing mother, but he also came to them as a loving father. So down in verse 11, he says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. So encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. So what do we look for in a loving father? And how do we put that in the workplace? And, and when I think about it, I look at a loving father as someone who consistently sees the best in us, who calls out the gold in us, who provides a safe place, a place of peace and not fear, and <clears throat> security, trust, truth, someone who makes us look and feel important even when we may not deserve it. And so in the workplace, I try to approach this, I can't say I'm perfect. I can't say I'm perfect. I have bad days, okay? So I don't have all this figured out. So just take this with a, with a grain of salt. But what I strive for is when I see an opportunity or a challenge that someone has, whether it's someone above me, beside me, or someone that reports to me, I know that I'm responsible to help them be all they can be, to live up to their total potential, even if they surpass me and where I am, and they climb that ladder faster and further, it's my job. And not just about their workplace skills, but their marriage, their relationships, and, and what I tend to focus on most with them is develop, the, developing them into leaders. Because I learned in a seminar once that you run into about 80,000 people in your lifetime. 80,000 people. I can only impact that 80,000. But if I can change the course of people's lives around me, and they go forth and treat people differently as a result of what they've learned from me, then that impacts their 80,000 people. 
right? So how many lives can we touch that then touch 80,000 lives? And the reward for that, there's no, there's no bonus that I get paid for that. There's no thank you. I mean, I have gotten some thank yous for some advice and some investments I've made in some people, but that's, that's not why I do it. I do it because I'm only going to be able to touch so many lives in my lifetime. And if I can impact those other 80,000s by teaching someone how to have better relational skills or leadership skills, then I've made a difference. And I don't need my name attached to that difference because I don't do it for me. Because it's what I'm called to do for him. So I have this situation at work. I, I'm limited in terms of how much um, actually evangelism, how much actual evangelism I do at work with my words. And I've gotten a few opportunities now and again, right? It's invitation-based. And I do find that I tend to lead by example. I want my life to be different and set apart. And it's that that gives me influence, right? It's the trust and rapport that I build by coming to people with humility and putting their best interests first and making them look good that then makes them see the difference in me. And I have times where people will come to me, they've been on a trip or in a meeting, and I'm like, and then I heard Nicole's voice in my head saying this, 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 and this, right? When it comes to doing something the right way with integrity or how to treat somebody else. And I just get a little grin because it's like giggle in my spirit knowing that, thank you God, that you left that piece of you through me in them, that that came to them when they needed it, right? That changed the trajectory in that moment. And thank you God that you have that influence and that you use me that way. It's beautiful to know that even just in those little things, we can make a difference. So, Garrett and Julia, would you mind coming up and playing? <clears throat> so I'm called to be a light and to point to the light that is in me from him. And when I do that, I get to be a source of, like a good father, peace and security, that people know what they're going to get when they come to me, even if they're coming with bad news. They know I'm not going to beat them up. I might have to tell them some hard stuff, but I'm going to do it in a way that when they leave my office, even if they've heard something hard, they still know I'm for them, and I'm trying to help them develop into all that they can be. And I'm not going to shy away from those tough conversations because that's not serving them well either. A father doesn't just ignore those opportunities to improve and learn. So I have to approach even those hard things for their best interest, for their good, and for their growth. That's what I'm there for. So what I want to ask of you guys is, <clears throat> as you think about the, the places that you are, whether you deal with clients or customers, or you're in a back office like I am, and you're dealing with just employees and executives, have you fully committed to giving it all with the expectation of nothing in return? Or are we always looking at our marriage and our ministry and my boss and thinking, is what I'm giving 
equal to what I'm getting? Is it a fair transaction? And am I weighing that out every place in my life, including the marketplace? Is it fair? Am I getting what I deserve? Do I need to exit this that doesn't feel fair to run away from it and go do something else that might feel more fair? Am I climbing fast enough? Because in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So when I'm in those places that I am pouring it all out, and I'll be honest, we had Journey to Wholeness this weekend, and I poured it all out. I did, and I knew I had this tonight, but I knew I wasn't doing it for anything in return. I was being obedient, right? And it doesn't matter what comes out of it, because it's all for Him. It's all for Him. And when I go to work tomorrow, I would much rather take a day off and stay home and try to recover. I really would, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because I'm not doing it for them. I'm not doing it for me. I'm just simply doing it for him. And so I have a challenge for you. If you never got another thank you from your spouse, from your kids, from people you serve here in ministry, from your boss, from your employees, from your customers, from your clients, if you never got another thank you, if you never got another promotion, if you never got another public recognition, would you do it? Would you do it? Because it's not for them. It's not for you. It's for him. And if we had a whole community of people that went out into this city and gave without wanting anything in return and stopped thinking about the transaction and the give and take and how much is too much that I'm giving of myself, what would this city look like? How many 80,000 of people could we impact with that pay it forward mentality when we give love it breeds love when we give freedom it breeds freedom how far could it reach so i'm going to invite you today i'm going to invite the prayer team up if there's an area in your life that you're still focused on the transaction and if i'm getting what i deserve and what's fair to me and god is calling me to stay and work through what's hard and let him develop me into what he's called me to be or if I need to stop focusing on just my little part but recognize I'm part of a bigger picture of gears in that motor it takes us all to make it work God raise me up to that perspective where I need to see the impact that I'm having but no it's not all about me I want to invite you to come up and get prayer a chance to see things from a different perspective, to see them from a kingdom perspective, to be able to see what God is doing, say, I want to play my role in that. I don't want to be so focused on receiving and what I can get that I miss an opportunity that you present me to give myself away and be an example, Jesus, of who you are on this earth. I get to be the representation of that to the people that I serve and the people I spend my time with every day. Thanks for listening to the Riverhouse podcast. For more information, visit riverhouseministries.com.